It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! Yeah, baby! Glad to be back. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I am especially excited to welcome one of our favorite guests. I know she's your favorite guest, uh, Miss Robin Frederick. <laughs> and today, Robin is going, we're going to listen to a bunch of songs and decide whether or not these people have accomplished the goal of creating universal lyrics. So that should be exciting. Um, I think we're doing 10 songs today. And uh, I want to mention, this book has been on fire lately, selling, oh yes, oh boy, did I wear the wrong shirt for the see-through cover, huh? <laughs> it's normally lime green, and that's why, because my green screen is lime green as well. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that when I got dressed this morning. I was worried that the shirt would more, but not that it would do this. Anyway, Shortcuts of Songwriting for Film and TV. I've always said that it's the only book that covers this topic on the market, more importantly, it's people seem to think if I just write great songs, people will love them and put them in TV and film. And there's so much more to it. And that's all this book talks about is the differences in crafting something that works in a scene versus working on a record, radio or Spotify or wherever. Right. So can I, if I may, Robin, I'd like to lead off with asking you to define what a universal lyric is, because a lot of people just stop short and say, well, it means everybody in the universe loves it. It's universal. You got it. And what you end up with is something that's really generic and boring, and nobody loves it. Um, you know, if you try, well, if you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. You've heard that old phrase, yeah. Yep. So, And that's true. When I, when I hear a... a, a you know, a lyric that's a string of cliches because they're trying to be safe and they're trying to just say, you know, say the, the minimum amount. Um, and, and so the song ends up being boring. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't express uh, honesty or emotion or, you know, get the listener involved and engaged. All those things you have to do in all songs, whatever market you're, you're sending them at. So my definition, um, and I know you have some thoughts on this too, Michael. Uh, let me give my definition of universal lyrics because I think it's, I may be the only one who actually says this, but I'm pretty sure it's right. Um, <laughs> universal lyrics are lyrics about emotions. They're lyrics that focus on emotions because emotions are universal, right? Yep. Um, emotions are something everybody, every human feels emotions. That's universal. Um, and so when you're writing universal lyrics, what you're doing is you're going to write um, lyrics that are focused on and expressive of the emotions that the, usually the singer is feeling. So we see those kinds of songs all the time. It's it, We do it. We want to express our own emotions. So there's nothing about universal lyrics that tells you to hold back or not express yourself or not be unique and be yourself. You absolutely should be all those things because it has to ring true. It has to be authentic and it has to move not only the audience, the viewer, um, because that's what your song is there to do. It's there to enhance the emotion in a scene or a commercial or whatever. You've got to move that viewer and, and convince them that the singer authentically feels what the singer is singing about. And, and if you don't do that, the music supervisor isn't going to be interested in the song or a music library. And Michael, you pointed out, um, let me just say, so emotions are the way to go uh, when you're looking at writing uh, universal lyrics and the types of emotions that are in scenes, film and TV scenes are just human emotions, 
right? So you're going to write songs that express what you feel, and that's probably going to work for a lot of common film and television scenes, because the more scenes that your song fits in, the more appealing it is to music libraries and music supervisors. And you were mentioning that just before we went on the air, Michael. Yeah. Um, that you, why universal lyrics appeal to um, to music libraries. It's because they can place them in the maximum number of scenes and commercials and because they express what most people feel. And that's what film and television is all about. You know? I think a lot of musicians, and understandably so, just want their music loved, thereby they are loved as an extension of their music, or their music is an extension of them, I guess would be the better way to say it. They want the affirmation that they're doing good work, and I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they, yeah, so that has drilled this concept for decades into songwriters, and I'm sure visual artists and filmmakers and everybody, that having something that has broad appeal um, is what you want to accomplish, but in too much, to, you know what, I'm going to go a whole different way, something that will explain this much better, which is people are amazed when they find out we have country screeners for film and TV country, and we have country screeners for radio and records country at Taxi, and rarely do the two ever cross, and here's why. Country songs are notoriously, well, bad choice words, country songs are just filled with visual details. I walked yes. into the smoky room and smelled yesterday's beer, you know, blah. You, you, they put you in the room. You can't do that with a country song for film and TV, which is anathema to country songwriters in Nashville. They, they, you'd have to put like a, a you know, a 20 gauge shotgun to the back of their head, say, okay, now write something without details before you'd have a shot at getting it. Yeah. But that's a really good craft thing for people writing country music to know is that most of your competition can't write country for film and TV, which is pretty much a lack of details. You don't walk into a smoky room and smell the beer, but you walk into, you know, you walk, you, you talk. It's a lack me. of. It's a lack of storyline detail. Yeah. Those, yeah. So you don't walk into the bar because you, the, in the scene, nobody may be walking into a bar. So you right. can't tell the listener, I walked into a bar or he walked into a bar. We're going to see that later, actually, in one of our songs. Um, yeah. So, but what's interesting is country has been moving some country hits. I'm not saying country is some. moving in this direction. It's not. <laughs> um, some country hits uh, that country audiences love actually are universal um all on me by devin dawson which was his breakthrough hit single he sings you know you can fall on me when you're in trouble you can call on me you know put it all on me put the weight on me it's just beautiful that's the chorus has this whole list of things that's universal because he's saying this is how i feel about you and this is how much you know how much i you can do and i'll be there for you that is a, a what i call a measuring stick song and that works really well for film and television and it still gives country listeners that sense of detail that they like so much those mental movies that country music is yep. so good at running you can run a mental movie of an emotional situation without actually saying i walked into a bar so country hasn't moved you're absolutely right country is still about running mental movies of a story but, um, and you can't put those in film and television, but you can write country, folks. You can write country 
and write uh, songs that are universal, and you can even pitch those to established artists um, if you're writing something uh, that stays universal but still has a lot of vivid imagery in it expressing that emotion. By the way, I want to note that there is an exception to this rule, and you hear them every now and then, and the exception is often a song that's been big on radio and is a well-known song. They want that artist or they want that hit song in their big blockbuster movie or big hit TV show because it draws more eyeballs because, ooh, I heard so-and-so's got a song in that episode. So there's a certain amount of credibility and marketing uh, finesse that comes along with that. So there are exceptions to every rule, but I just saw it last night. I was watching uh, season two of Stranger Things. I don't know if you've watched that one, Robin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was a song that was a hit from the 80s, and I thought, wow, this has way too much detail, but it was down so low, you just felt it, you didn't hear it, until the Mm. one line that went with the scene was brought up to go with the scene. So for those of you who are going to start sending me emails saying, oh, Michael, that's not true. I heard so-and-so's hit song that had a ton of detail in it. There are always exceptions, and there are the, the editors that chop up just what they need and mixers that bring up a line because the executive producer wants it that way and very wisely. So, yeah, there are always exceptions. But the very bad example yeah. I've always used, which is, I met my wife in St. Louis on New Year on a snowy, cold New Year's Eve under the arch, and we fell in love, and she made me feel like a million bucks, and Robin taught me years ago, like 10 years ago, all what they really care about is how she made you feel. Go for the yeah, root emotion. That's it. Yep. The, other, the other exception that people should be aware of is source music. We're talking about song, song score, songs that go under scenes mm-hmm. or under a commercial. So when a commercial, you know, there's a couple coming up today with that are songs that are aimed that really work for a commercial where friends get together and they share a beer or they go to Olive Garden or wherever, um, that can work. Yeah, and so um, we don't say that in the commercial though. We don't say the name of the product, um, but we're writing about the feeling of friends getting together and stuff like that. However, that song score. Source yeah. music is music's playing when somebody puts the car radio on or somebody puts a, you know, has the band is playing on stage and the action's happening backstage. They got to have something to play. And when that happens, if they can use anything and they'll, that they, it doesn't matter what the lyrics are because the band is singing it on stage. So the right. band could be playing Sarah Smile. And even though there's nobody named Sarah and you couldn't put it underneath a scene because there's nobody named Sarah in the show, a band on stage could absolutely sing it. So that's source music. There's a source in the world of the characters. And when you have that source in the world of the characters, you can play any song that would realistically be played on that source. Once you leave that, and you do score, underscore with songs, that doesn't happen in the world of the characters. And you don't want the audience stopping to say, well, who's, who's, who are they talking about? Is somebody named Sarah? I don't know anybody named Sarah, or he's not a truck driver. Wait a minute, the singer just said, I'm a truck driver. Yes, yeah, so you have to watch out in song score for that kind of thing. But yeah, you will hear those other songs. And a lot of times the place or the time period dictates the songs, like Sarah Smile, what was that, like 1980, 81 maybe? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they may want something that's authentically from the era to really put you in that bar while this young couple is dancing and the song is Sarah's Smile, but it's not about Sarah. But it's like, okay, they're authentically in that year. Um, 
and, and the mix it's so low in the mix that you don't even notice the the lyric but you feel the 1981ness if that was the year of the song 81ness and if you happen to have a song that sounds like it was written and recorded in 1981 they might use that yeah so um there's that too It'll be a okay. lot cheaper, cheaper than licensing Sarah, Sarah Smile, Smile. That's for yeah. sure. All right, let me uh, type in my password because that screen went away. I'll let you do that. And Okay, so we are ready to roll, and we are going to listen to a song called, appropriately, Without a Word, and this is by Michael Lehman. And we're going to do a, we can do a verse and a chorus because I've already listened to the songs, just so you folks know, I've listened to them all the way through and I've made notes on this. Um, but for the audience, we're going to play about a verse and a chorus, maybe a little bit more sometimes. Okay. chord progression in this song absolutely beautiful it's not a particularly contemporary chord progression it's a little more musical theater than today's uh songs on uh, you know radio but um and film and tv does like to to lean towards contemporary sounds in their singer songwriter styles and things nevertheless beautiful chord progression and a beautiful melody and vocal on that song as well um verse one I know you can't you don't have the lyric in front of you but i do so i'll be reading some of these lines to you so we can you can remember them verse one sets up this love relationship it's a common emotion in film and tv which means it can be used in a lot of scenes so verse one she says it all in her own way without a word beautifully sets up the we don't have to speak even we we're reading each other so well and it goes on never told her how she made me feel but i know now she will always stay so we have a beautiful love relationship that seems really anchored um solidly between the two of them that sets up a chorus that for film and tv should be fairly straightforward but instead we have a very complicated chorus lyric um and the chorus lyric is um Without a word, she says it all for always. That's good. That continues that same thought. Um, then, and even beyond the peaceful feeling, I need some healing now and then. And those two lines really take us uh, kind of away from whatever this is about. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, peaceful feeling seems to fit. And so I think the chorus really should stick with, and, and she gives me this peaceful feeling and in this place where I know I always want to stay. That might work uh, because this, the feeling would be clear. But here we have, I need some healing, which I think is kind of there for the rhyme. Um, 
uh, I need some healing, it comes out of the blue and doesn't come back again in the song. So one of the things we're going to come back to over and over today is that in this style, choruses need to stand alone and they need to sum up the emotion that the, the entire song is trying to put across. This, the vocal, the chords, the melody, and the whole first verse really starts to set up this very, very peaceful, loving relationship. But the line, I need some healing now and then, really pulls us out of it and seems to need to have be addressed. Um, and it does go on, lost it all when I tried not to be who I am is the next line. It's it's a very abstract line. We want to stay with the emotional feel of being in a peaceful relationship in which you are both so secure that you don't need to use words to talk to each other. That's where this should go. And then you can imagine the scene that it goes under because we have those kinds of scenes. I don't know why you're laughing, but- Because um, I just <laughs> remembered, I just saw one of those infomercials for like, um, all in the family and they showed Edith yapping away, yapping oh. away and Archie's like going out of his mind. And there, there's a case where they, he wishes there no, were no words in the <laughs> relationship, <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> so you can have a scene like that and you can have many scenes in which two, a couple is sitting alone together and they're not speaking at all. But you get the sense because the director makes sure you do and the actors that they love each other very much. And that song playing underneath that scene, there doesn't need to be any dialogue because it is without a word. That's it. That song would work perfect. That that verse would. But so take a look at that. Uh, the writers of this song, take a look at that. And even beyond the feast, the peaceful feeling, I know that you know we'll be together for all time, or you know whatever you want to say about that peaceful feeling. Um, and even in the silence, I always know there's love. And even in the silence, there is love. Eh, you know, there's your payoff line. So that way you can put it underneath a scene in which it features two people who don't need to talk to each other. They know each other so well. Um, okay, so that's, um, I just want to stress that film and TV needs a single central emotion, um, emotional message in the chorus. You've got to do it because the chorus may be all that, that the listener hears, all the viewer hears, because the verses a lot of times are put underneath the dialogue. And uh, then comes up comes the chorus up up full at the end of the scene, and that's boy, those are the placements you want. Yeah. So you want to give that a single emotional message, especially in that chorus. By the way, uh, not for nothing, my wife does the first assemblage of information every month on taxi members who've gotten placements and deals recently, and I believe it was. Saturday night, Sunday night, she was in the kitchen. I was in the family room. She goes, oh, by the way, one of our members got a song in uh, Stranger Things. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big placement. That show it's a big is, placement. Yeah, yeah, that show is on fire right now. It's about as on fire yeah. as a show could be. And so I, I don't know yeah. which member because I haven't looked at the document she sent me yet. You can look at, folks, you can go to uh, tunefind.com. T-U-N-E-F-I-N-D. Michael told me about this years ago before I even wrote my book. And I've been going to TuneFind. I was even a volunteer there filling in information. You can do that if you really want to dig into film and TV songs and become a volunteer. And um, Stranger Things, you can go there. if you Whether you watch the show or not, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV, so I don't see it a lot. But I'll go over there and I'll check to see what songs were used that week in that episode and you could do that michael and find out who the song you'll probably recognize the taxi member's name and um and go through there and see uh 
what songs are being used by Stranger Things because one of the reasons that show is hot is because the songs that chooses really good music. They play really good music. Yeah. Um, good songs. Yeah, like Blacklist used to, which is off the air now, going off the air. Um, Blacklist was famous for using great songs. I found so many new artists on Blacklist. Um, and so when I can't watch it, I just go over to TuneFind, go through the latest episodes and see what kinds of songs they're playing, go over to Spotify, play them while I'm listening, while I'm looking through the episodes to see what's happening. And it'll tell you what Stranger Things is using, what kinds of songs are working for film and TV. And I put a lot of those together in a playlist um, uh, over on Spotify called Film and TV Songwriting. And uh, you can find that over there if you search for it at, and you can follow me and I put those songs up. Nobody knows. I'm trying to think of the, an appropriate way to say this. Robin is not a 22-year-old who's obsessed with music, hanging out in her bedroom with headphones on, smoking weed, doing nothing but listening to music all day. Well, she doesn't smoke weed, but she probably does wear headphones listen to music all day. Anyway, I'm trying to give her a compliment, and it's not coming out very well. And the compliment is, I cannot think of another person of any age who has so much knowledge of current music mind-blowing i mean obviously you've got a, a, a you have an encyclopedic knowledge of historical stuff of music but robin knows more about current music than a lot of a and r people and publishers i know so tip of the hat to thank you. you thank you um okay, okay. next one is called take me to the promised land and this is by true swans let's put the fader back up here we go Take me to the promised land Golden gates and ivory towers Hear the angels sing Take me to the promised land On a pale horse is riding Catching souls to take them home Take me to the promised land I see an angel Come take me home Leaving everything behind I had a dream a guided Very nice, very nice. It's a beautiful, moody vocal style, kind of Lana Del Rey, sort of flurry. I'm going to come back to flurry in a moment. Um, this style, this type vocal style, uh, works very well for film and television. You can put it underneath the scene and it creates a kind of moody, swirly, atmospheric backdrop. They really like that. Um, the surreal feeling, it carries over into the lyrics, which I was really glad to see. Lots of vivid imagery here. Um, this kind of surreal feeling with a strong sensual yearning uh, as part of it. Take me to the promised land. I see an angel, pain left far behind. I'm yearning for something. And of course, the, the vocal adds this kind of sensual quality to it. And it's unclear during the song whether this is a luminous imagined figure or, um, you know, catching souls to take them home, she sings later on. 
uh, and who that might be. But I think any time you could use this under scenes in which um, there was a um, uh, kind of a surreal moment where, you know, maybe someone isn't sure of who they've just met, met. or it's a, one of the vampire shows. We don't have them on right now. Maybe we do. Stranger Things. It would work in a show like Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, the vivid images, angels, golden gates, ivory towers, uh, riding on a pale horse, lots of sort of biblical, mythical sort of images. Um, however, I think that two things would you if you worked on this, you get have more of a chance of getting a placement with this. Um, Take me to the promised land seems to be the refrain. It keeps coming back. But then there's other lines that keep coming back, like I see an angel. And um, there's another one that I had a dream. I forget. There's a couple more that keep coming back. There's no clear refrain. Uh, a, a refrain line is a line that gets repeated throughout the song and here you're three or f two or three of them that get repeated so there's no one single focus it looks like the focus might be take me to the promised land but it's a single line it goes by it does get repeated but we don't it never really sits there and says something about the promised land you never get a chance as a listener to to, to fall into that and stay with it so i would recommend creating a refrain style chorus which means a short chorus maybe four lines um i sometimes call them undeveloped choruses mm. they work very well for film and tv because you just focus on a single idea a single emotion so i would recommend something like take me to the promised land take me to the light take me to the promised land take me to the light if light is what you want to say with this song or do you want to say darkness i mean what is the promised land i think it's light so you need to tell us what it is that she's yearning for and what it emotionally feels like does it i can't even tell you whether it feels like light or dark so you as the songwriters need to decide that and then put that in a single refrain that anchors the song and keep coming back to that um i would like to suggest that you listen to flurry f-l-e-u-r-i-e -E. you probably know who flurry is and the song breathe Breathe has been used a lot in film and television. Notice how she focuses on the word breathe. That's her refrain. She repeats it and repeats mm -hmm. it. And the track, um, the track is the other thing that I want you to work on. And that is it's not supporting. It's it, the, um, the moody atmospheric quality. There's too many crashing symbols and things that are jumping out. And you want to just create a very, wa a wash. Yeah, Did you notice, I'm laughing because I thought you knocked something over in the first 20 or 30 seconds of the song. I thought, <laughs> oh no, Robin knocked over a drink or did I knock something and I was looking around. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, it, it wasn't even in time and it was very distracting. It's a big symbol crash. Yeah. yeah. And I, boy, when that came on, it just pulled me right out of the mood and when I was listening earlier and then it, it things like that continue throughout okay so what I'm going to recommend is to whoever's doing the track for this go listen to uh, tracks by flurry um, they're a really good reference because that those songs have been used a lot in film and television and try to redo your track to get that atmospheric feel to it and then uh, the vocals working great just keep that vocalist working and lots of reverb like you have on there that's really good and then you'll begin to convey track melody vocal lyrics will all work together to create the same emotional feel for the viewer and that's what you want and I think this is a good I think this is a very appealing idea it just needs to be um, uh, handled a little bit more uh, uh, 
in a more consistent manner so that it all comes together, it all weaves together. Something that you touched on that I would like to also um, speak about is, is the vocal quality delivery in the reverb and the sultriness of it, um, almost sexiness, even though it's really mm -hmm. not a, a sexy subject. It that is, there's a lot of sensuality in it, yeah. that yearning. Yeah, it's there. It's there. That, that is something that goes a very long way in the world of what music libraries want. Not obviously everything they want sounds like that, but that vibe is very useful to libraries to pitch, and it's very useful for people making the decisions what's going to land in a TV show or a movie. Um, so, yeah, you should do an album full of songs that have that sultry, sensual, almost mysterious delivery in the vocal, in the reverb. You could almost sing the phone book with that vibe right. and get, and get right. away with it. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, you can look at Lana Del Rey, you can look at Ruel, you can look at Freya Ridings, um, and you'll hear that kind of, uh, it, this is called cinematic post-rock. They're not using drum kits in it. You've got more toms and low beats and pulses and things. And then you do these washes of the electric guitar run through the reverb, or you, you get your synthesizer, run it through the reverb so that you just wash the whole thing. That Nothing stands out like that cymbal crash. was. It just was so distracting. It took the listener right out of that track. So um, you can find these things. You can, um, you can type in cinematic post-rock, P-O-S-T hyphen rock, his cinematic post-rock over at Spotify, and you'll come up with some examples of cinematic post-rock. And you can start listening to these things. There's tons of it out there. Um, and you can hear Amber Run is a, a group that does it. And um, uh, you'll come up with a bunch of them if you just go over to Spotify and do that. And, and then copy that. Use those as references. Don't steal. Right. But yeah, refer to that. How does that sound? How can I make that my own sound? Um, and, and get that out to uh, uh, music libraries or music supervisors through Taxi and get that to the people who are using it because it is, as Michael just said, very, very popular um, for film and television because you can use it both as back um, underscore and also um, you can bring up that chorus at the end and bring that extra kind of thrill into it. And trailers. Trailer and editors trailers. love that stuff. Quick engineering tip. If you're looking for that reverb style. Um, a lot of people don't really know what pre and post fader mean with their relatively new to engineering. Post fader means that the reverb follows the volume set by the fader. Pre fader means that the reverb send, the amount of signal you're sending to whatever reverb device you're using, which is probably a, you know, something digital, um, is pre-fader is more prone to giving you this sound because it's sending it purely to the chamber and is not affected by how much vocal direct vocal you have in the mix so do a pre-fader send of the vocal to the reverb and then bring up the vocal on the fader ever so slowly until you get that perfect blend and you'll go aha and you'll have it for the future if you don't have a pre-fader send, what you do is you put it in an insert right on the right. synthesizer track. And then you grab the, the however much you want of a wet or dry sound and you set it where you want it. It'll do the same thing Michael's just described. All right. Next we have, this one's called a squeaky wheel. I like that. This is by Thomas Marvin. And let me get my fader up. It is, and here we go. He walks into the bar. Whistles a girl I love 
Okay. Now I'm going to assume that those four lines that started anyway back to the merry man and ended with Squeak, squeaky wheel where we just uh, Michael just faded it. I'm going to assume that's the chorus because it has the title at the end of it. Although the verse after that, verse three, also ends with squeaky wheel. Um, so I'm not clear as if I were a music supervisor, I would be looking for I would be looking for the chorus to figure out what part of the song I could use to sum up the emotion in a scene. And there really isn't a chorus here. And the storyline quality of this goes right back to what Michael and I were talking about earlier. He walks into the bar. Mm -hmm. um, it's the first phrase. Yeah. So we can't do that because if the scene isn't taking place in a bar, then you can't use that. If the song had a strong enough chorus in it about an emotion, then there might be something there you could use in the chorus and the second verse, but it really doesn't ever leave the realm of storytelling. This really has storyline detail in it. Um, so this is a good example for everybody to see what storyline detail is that Michael and I were talking about earlier um, when he says um, on, in the second verse, uh, to, he's talking to three girls in a corner. They giggle over spilling wine as they murder time and listen to his spiel. Careful, fancy that, like a caveat, he's an asshole, a jerk, and a squeaky wheel. It's very clever writing. I'm not saying I'm not saying this isn't clever writing, but you can't use it for film and TV because there are too many physical details in a story that there are not three girls in the bar. You know, this is not seen in a bar and there's not three girls. And the problem is if there if it was in a bar and there were three girls listening to this guy talk, your song would be what well, two on the nose. That's actually a term of art in, in film and TV, two on the nose. Yep. And it means you're telling the story of the scene. And what happens, I asked uh, a couple of music supervisors over the years about this. Why don't we do that? Why can't we do that? Because they will, will not do that. And they, uh, they said, well, we're not sure why, but we think what happens is, we know what happens, is that um, the viewer becomes aware that they're watching a scene and uh, oh, look, it's a scene with three girls in it in a bar. It's a, yeah, they become aware that they're watching a scene and they step back, they step out of the scene. They lose what they call the willing suspension of disbelief, meaning you lose yourself in the scene and you and you accept whatever's happening in the scene, even if it's aliens, you know, on Mars, you accept that that's real and you feel it and you identify with it. But if there's a song suddenly that's describing the scene, you lose that. You become disconnected emotionally from the scene and no director wants that to ever happen. So that's why they don't use songs that tell stories. I thought I'd like to explain that at some point. Um, and this one's definitely telling a story. The other thing this song is doing is it's changing the uh, singer's point of view, uh, changing the singer's character. So be aware folks, when you're writing any kind of song, but especially universal lyrics, the singer needs to, uh, to, to stay in character because that's what makes the singer believable. Sometimes the singer is a narrator. In this case, the singer starts out um, as a kind of, uh, he walks into the bar where serves the girl I love. And after my second glass, I swear she'll marry me. We forgot about that guy who walked in. Wow, she's so beautiful. You better make it three, but not before you give me your name and my life meaning. It's clever. But we had this guy walk into the bar and then we abandoned him until the beginning of the next verse. Listeners, viewers will never remember that far into a song. They're, they have no idea what just happened. Later in the song, 
the singer takes the guy, the guy, he says, the guy, he walks into his home where he feels so alone. How does the singer see that? How does the singer even know that? He's in right. a bar chatting with the girl he's going to marry. So you can't change the singer's um, function, which is could be uh, a narrator, which he would be when he takes the when the guy goes home and the narrator is omniscient and he sees everything. That could happen, but you can't start out having the the narrator be falling in love with the girl behind the bar. And so, who is the character in your song? Who is the singer? Always know who your singer is. If it's you, what character are you? You know, you're not just you when you write a song. You're a particular character. You're a heartbroken you, or you're, you know, Bruce Springsteen you, the guy, you know, riding the motorcycle off into the night, the the rebel poet. You're the who are you when you write a song in which you are the singer? I, I am the singer. So that's really important in film and television because this the scene is filled with characters, and your character as the singer has to fit. So if you're, let's, I've used this example before in the road rally. I played a, song, a scene with two teenagers, supposedly teenagers, cuddling on a bed, not really doing any more than that. They're sort of just discovering each other for the first time. And I played <laughs> a teenage song with a really youthful vocal. Um, uh, give me a reason to fall in love, because that's a da, da 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 Really youthful, really young. And you could really see that nothing was going to happen here, that these two people are just cuddling. Then I played a different song underneath that scene, and I played Etta James, At Last. Mm. And all of a sudden, at last, da, 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 with strings behind it. Magnificent song. It's been, it's been licensed tons of times into film and television. Tons of, it used to be the most licensed song in film and TV for a while. And yet, in this scene, it destroyed it. Because all of a sudden, you realize that the actors were in their probably late 20s, and that and also you expected something very different to happen um you know discovering each other now means something completely different than it did when the little loopy teen girl was singing underneath that um it was young love now it's not young love you know now it's at last i found this person after all these years of broken hearts and all these things and you can't put even a great song like etta james underneath that scene because that singer and that song is the wrong character for the scene. So don't feel like when your song gets turned down that it's because it's a bad song. It's that it would not possibly work with that scene in many times. I could so not agree more. So know who your character is. There yep. you go. Know we who your all... character is. Know what kind of language that that character would use and what kind of music you want to put with it. Go this ahead. is the hardest thing for people to understand about, the hardest thing for songwriters and artists to understand about film and TV music is you could have an A++ song, but a B-plus song makes it into the scene because the B-plus song is better for the scene. It's not about That's who's got the mean. best song. It's about do you have the best song for the scene? And just because you've crafted a work of art that's amazing, sounds like a hit record, doesn't mean it's right for the scene. All right, uh, we have to pick up the pace a little bit because we've only done okay. three and we're halfway through the show. I also want to add that three people would not be giggling over spilling a glass of wine in a bar because they can't afford the glass of wine now anyway. That was an inflation <laughs> joke. Okay, here we go. This is Happy Sad by Benjamin and Mia Hackett. And here we go.
beautiful. I love this track. I love the track. I love the urgency of the guitar, the momentum that that guitar brings to it. Really good track. Great vocal, great production. That's going to have a lot of appeal uh, because the track alone would underscore a scene really well and give it some urgency. Um, the chorus, uh, the, the chorus has to be able to stand alone, and this one, I think it does, um, meaning, meaning that the verse, you don't need the verses in order to explain it. So the chorus is twisted into a knot, I'm happy, sad, happy, sad, so sure, but then I'm not. I'm happy, sad, happy, sad. This is somebody who's feeling confusion, who can't make a decision about something. Everything is, uh, there is no right way to go here. And I think that there are scenes that where that might be used, but I can't, it's a little hard to imagine what that would be. Somebody stuck in a dilemma who can't comes up, come up with a uh, solution. Happy, sad, happy, sad doesn't exactly say that. So I'm a little worried that there isn't a scene specifically uh, for this. Happy, sad means I can't find the emotion I want to feel. One moment I'm happy, then I'm sad. And so I'm not sure that the verses hook up with the chorus, but it's such beautiful production and it's so, it's very well written. I'm just not clear exactly on how that chorus would relate. As I heard it, I thought, boy, oh boy, I would love to be the songwriter and sit down with your book on this one because Robin's books, I believe personally, they should not be read cover to cover. You could, but they're more like having Robin sitting in a chair next to you when you're writing and you go, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. There's an answer for everything in her books. So that's the way I would use them. But as I heard, happy, sad, happy, sad, I thought that's too much of a good thing. And then I thought, happy, sad, it's bittersweet. And then I was looking for one more dichotomy, if that's yeah, the right word. That's it, good. It, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's a great idea. Absolutely great idea. I didn't think of that. But that's it. It's bittersweet. You would Some more examples of what you mean by happy, sad, that would take care of it. And you could put that into the course. If we just change that third line where you repeat happy, sad, happy, sad. Um, I'm sorry. That, put that in for the to the second line. Um, uh, I think you could fit, squeeze that into the chorus somehow uh, so that it stands alone and we know that happy, sad is bittersweet, if that's what you want to say. Okay. Happy, sad, bittersweet, like buying an awesome pair of shoes that don't fit your feet. Mm, there you go. And now, and now <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> now you know why I'm he not a songwriter. <laughs> All right, here we go. This one is it. called Black Russian Sunset. It's by Gary Scott.
good. That's the chorus right there. Pour gently in a fine glass on the rocks, make it last. Stir lightly, no regrets. Another black Russian sunset. This is an exception. This is one of these exceptions that Michael brought up earlier. Um, this song has a, uh, the lyric, the whole tone of it suggests a James Bond situation. It's almost like a Bond um, uh, opening credit song. I, there was a uh, listing, I think, for songs like this, and it may have been written for this listing. Um, it's the whole, uh, in the second verse, this goes even more Bond. Red moon, drink my poison, shadows play, set waves in motion. Is that kind of looming danger and darkness in this one and the black Russian uh, sunset. Now, the black Russian sunset is um, referring, I think, stir light, no regrets, another black Russian sunset. I think that's referring to a drink, a uh, black Russian. And um, uh, so it has all that kind of sophisticated feel to it and the danger and the, the darkness of a, blonde the of a Bond theme. Um, and so I think that it would work for a situation like that, but it, it's not going to probably, it won't work as an under, as underscore because things like Black Russian Sunset is a specific drink. Um, that'd be, that would keep it from doing that. Um, otherwise, I think you could. Um, the track is really interesting. It reminds me, it has a trip hop feel that I really like. It reminds me of more Chiba. And um, uh, Morchiba was very popular in film and TV, and a, a new Morchiba would be, I think, a lot have a lot of appeal. So I think that that's the James Bond feel is intentional. Um, the style is so well known, however, that it could be a problem uh, when you go to pitch this. That too many the music soup will go, no, no, this is too identified with the James Bond themes. Um, but the lyric is universal, with the exception of the payoff line. And if there were a parody of a James Bond film or there was something like that, it could be used. Uh, in, it could have that. Great. Okay. All right. We are moving on to our number six. This one's called Forever, and it's by Shelley Gartner. Some part of me I've always left behind I never feel at home Till you're there by my side You're never too surprised To see me standing there No call, no explanation Outside your door again You're like a distant Twists and turns of my life You're the only one Who brings me peace of mind I guess you'll be a part of me Forever Oh, forever Beautiful Really beautiful um, I don't know if Shelley is also the singer, but um, it's a, it's a, that's the right voice for this style. Um, this is a good song. The chorus can stand alone. Uh, as I was talking about earlier, 
Um, Michael and I covered a lot of ground about universal lyrics as we went through the first few songs. So this chorus, you're like a distant light through all the weary miles, through all the twists and turns of my life, and you're the only one who brings me peace of mind. I guess you'll be a part of me forever. You don't need any other, you don't need a verse to explain that. The verses then tell you more about this specific situation, or it, it, which is fine. One thing I would suggest, uh, Shelley, is um, the first, the second verse is in the past tense, which is the right thing to do. It's like um, you're a distant light, all the weary miles through all my life. You're the only one who brings me peace of mind. I guess you'll be a part of me forever, as if you're not here, but you'll be a part of me, my feelings, and and my life. And so when he says the second verse, the singer sings, I'm out here on my own, I'm chasing all my dreams, I swear I hear your voice. In other words, the person is distant from the singer. So what I would do in the first verse, uh, this seems to be in the present tense, it's a little hard to tell. You're like some part of me I've always left behind. Those are the opening two lines. Be careful, you're like a part of me that I have left behind. I never feel at home till you're by my side. I can't tell. In other words, I can't tell whether the singer and the person are still together or this is somebody singing about someone who's in their past. And so just make sure that that's clear. You can put the first verse in the past tense uh, pretty easily. I never felt at home till you were by my side. You were never too surprised to see me standing there. So it's up to you whether you want it in the past or the present. But as soon as you sing, you're like a distant light then we get that sense of distance from the person that the singer is singing about. So um, beautiful song. It is in the it has a kind of musical theater, big melody, big chord progression. Um, it's the type of song that Josh Groban had so much success with or the three tenors um, could do something justice to this song. Um, the other one you can think about is uh, an artist named Levi Kreis, K-R-E-I-S, his song I Should Go was used in the Vampire Diaries a couple of times. It's a beautiful song, that's where I found it. Um, and it could be used underneath scenes. This song of yours could be used underneath scenes in which someone is looking through a photo album if this person is in the past. It could be used in a montage reminiscing or just looking at the person they love in the present. Um, good for a montage or underscore. Just make sure that you make it clear whether what that chorus means and you're consistent in the verses about it. I would also redo that vocal and move the song one step lower. Um, it's just a little bit too high for the vocalist and you don't want to be straining on those high notes. You want it to sound effortless. It's yeah. also very much in the style of musical theater, which I feel even though it really works well for this song and I understand why this writer artist did it this way, very limiting from a production music library standpoint to the number of things they can pitch it for because it's not really modern pop, which is the most often used style of music. There are always exceptions, but um, I would try to do a pop production of this same song and see if you could pull it off if it works, because as it is now, pretty limiting. With the greatest lyrics in the world, the most universal lyrics in the world, most library owners aren't going to be that interested in this because it's limited number of places they could ever pitch it. Might sit in the, the library's catalog for you know five years, ten years before somebody reaches out and do, do you have something that sounds very Broadway-esque about whatever you know the topic is? It just doesn't happen that often. So, a little something beyond today's topic. Uh, okay, moving on now. This one's called Don't You Go Too Fast by Bill. And I'm so sorry, Bill, but I'm about to butcher your name, I fear. Bill, oh, Bill yeah. Gahan. 
Gahan or Goffin? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, or Geohegan. <laughs> That's the way it's spelled, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm so sorry, Hagen. Bill. But uh, anyway, Hagen? let's have a listen to your song about Don't You Go Too Fast. There's writing on the window. There's pudding in the jars There's hands across the table The sky's up with the stars They say that life is beautiful Yet the earth is in a front Emoji is a thousand words Your friend still wants to jump Listen to the music The wolf has got to howl Pants it halfway down your waist Some like Mr. Cow But don't you go too fast Cause your head may feel the pain Just trickle down the sidewalk Admit that life's a game Good. Good. Okay, that was the chorus. Don't, don't you go too fast because your head may feel the pain. Just trickle down the sidewalk. Admit that life's a game. A game. Excuse me. Admit that life's a game. Um... There's a lot of references here that suggest that Bill is Irish or or British, and um, and uh, life is uh, there's pudding in the jars, things that we don't uh, phrases that we don't necessarily use in American English, but you do use in British English. Um, but there's some wonderful references. Emoji is a thousand words. Your friend still wants to jump. Um, uh, it goes back and forth. It's what is he's contrasting the kind of catch twenty two of life. That's how I read this, um, and the and. He's got another verse that has a whole nother list of things that are, um, uh, you know, kind of crazy. And the catch twenty two we're all called in, we're, we're all caught in, in, in on in this life that we're in. Um, and I think that what's happening here is that the verses are very wordy, which can sometimes work for film and TV, as long as there's a steady beat underneath and and you you know really get those words locked into the beat. Um, but we don't have a chorus here that stands alone. Um, the chorus, but you, but don't you go too fast because your head might feel the pain. Just trickle down the sidewalk. Admit that life's a game. The only phrase here that works is, you know, that sales tells you what the song's about is admit that life's a game. And I think that the song is actually saying more than that. I think that the, the singer really needs to say, I'm feeling overwhelmed and crazy. I can't get off the wheel. You know, it, it keeps spinning and I keep falling but I'm you know catching I'm hopefully I'll catch on tomorrow whatever it is you want to sum this up in and and say this is what I this is what I'm feeling we need to get to that feeling that the singer has and make us feel it too how do you make us feel tilted and and off kilter you do that by writing a melody that's off the beat and we don't have that here you're emphasizing the downbeats a lot so I would recommend looking at a song like Matchbox 20s how far we've and you'll get that sense of urgency and and the sense of everything's crazy and I just don't know what I'm going to do, uh, how I'm going to handle this. Um, and uh, I think you'll you'll get a better idea of how you could make this type of thing work for film and television. The melody, the, the instrumentation all has to give us that sense of quirky craziness. Um, Matchbox 20 has another one called Unwell that also has that kind of off-kilter, tilted feel. And I think you'll... Uh, find that that works better for you than this kind of more folksy uh, 
steady beat because this is something about us not being steady on our feet. Okay. Next up, we have number eight, which is Worn Out Your Welcome by Keith Sumner. And fader up. Here we go. When you call that your feeling lingers for days on the shoulders are icy. So are the gazes from strangers and lovers who know where you're from. You've worn out your welcome. When the pleasures Gotta hear this old part. <laughs> yeah, that's what you should put there. Um, okay, <laughs> this is another clever, vivid, image-driven lyric, just like we saw with Bill's uh, song a minute ago. Very clever lines. The letters you've written are all tossed away, and you're down to your last stick of nicotine gum then you know you've worn out. You're welcome. Um, it's very clever. It's very cute. I'm reminded of the Kinks a little bit. I think this is, again, I think this is probably British. Um, and I think that it's smart and clever, but it doesn't have enough of a refrain or even an undeveloped chorus or any kind of undeveloped chorus that's going to make this work for film and television. Um, okay, so refrains, you've worn out, you're welcome, is the line you keep ending with. So that's your refrain line. And it's just, it's, it's, for one thing, we don't pronounce welcome, welcome, which is what you keep doing every time. So I would rhyme it with, um, you're no longer wanted, not even seldom. No, you've worn out, you're welcome. And that way you give that payoff line, the refrain line, more emphasis and people are expecting it. If you, you, we use rhymes to do that sometimes, to set up the fact that there's another rhyme coming. Expect it, expect it, yeah, welcome. Um, so try try doing welcome the way that it is pronounced so that people go, ha, ah, yes, that. You've worn out your welcome, just the way somebody would say it. Refrains can work for film and TV, but they need to grab attention. So give it two lines, set it up with a rhyme, give it a couple of lines, repeat it, or whatever you need to do to grab more attention and put it on that refrain and, cre and turn it into uh, this, the chorus, the undeveloped chorus of your film and TV song. You can repeat the line, um, simply repeat it. In this case, I don't think that would work. Um, you can expand it into a four-line chorus and say something else about it in the third line. And you can, as, as I said, set it up with a rhyme. Um, so I would think about um, straightening that out so it's the, the, uh, you emphasize the first syllable in welcome and add a rhyme for that to set it up. And that'll give you something uh, a little more... Um, uh, for the, the music supervisor to focus on and know what the song is actually about without um, even, you know, having to listen to the whole song. Very reminiscent uh, in some aspects of Pink Floyd and Jethro Tull. I heard, kink. <laughs> I heard kinks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll give yeah. you kinks in there. 
Yeah, definitely. I would venture a guess that this person is of my generation and grew up with that music because the influences are very clearly there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, good times. Whoa. Good times, Av. It's called. Yeah, and I, think I just I'm, leave it like that. Yeah. Good times, Av, and I screwed up somehow. It's been playing with the fader down. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Not a worry in the world now Tan lines and the sun's out Bad vibes took a trip out of town Take a breath with your feet on the ground Good folks, good music, good food Want another round, don't have to ask Can't wait to look back on this time Living the moment like it was the last Here, let's all have some cheer Leave your hard times in the rear I want to let this go for one reason. I'll tell you why in a second. Raise one to the sunshine. Made me down at the good times have. Raise one to the moonlight. Have some fun at the good times have. Mama said if it ain't broke. I wanted to see what a post chorus was. I've been in the industry for like 50 years. I've never seen post chorus on a lyric sheet. Now I know. Oh, okay. All righty. Um, Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, post chorus can be that. Uh, it can. It takes some piece of the song and generally repeats it or manipulates it. Um, and a lot of times it'll have uh, instrumental um, additions and and embed that. Good times have sunshine, moonlight. Good times have. It would usually be fewer lyrics than that, um, but it works. And you can get everybody to have their hands in the air and ooh ah ooh ah. Good times have. That's a little more post chorusy. Um, to have a, a little less lyric, but it works as a post. It's got no problem with that. Okay, so this could work. What could work well for a friends get together type commercial, right? To leave your hard times in the rearview mirror. It's a special place we can get to. Look at that chorus. Special place we can get to with the kind of people you'll be glad that you have. Now, um, uh, commercials, beer, wine, food, restaurants, even VRBO, Verbo. I mean, people all get together, rent a house. That's their commercial now for Verbo is the whole family gets together in this very expensive looking house. Um, the melody, the vocal production, it's warm, acoustic. It really works for those uses. Um, the chorus does stay alone except for one thing. And so I'm going to just throw this out to people who couldn't see the lyric. And so I want to know if they, I don't, if you, I don't know if you can see the chat room, I can't, but if you can, I want to know if they know what uh, the lyric means when he says, good times Av. Did people uh, hear what that was? Good times Av. Do you know what that is? And I'll, does that make sense? Good times Av. I'll let uh, you know. Um, I'm waiting, you know, there's like a, yeah, a and I'm, 10 second I, lag. Okay, so I'll let you guys do that. Um, and uh, again, you know, Applebee's uh, now is that whole restaurant chain is using the Cheers theme song. Um, and I think this fits really well in there. Um, uh, so the Cheers theme song, of course, never refers to Cheers by name, which is perfect. Uh, you know, where everybody knows your name. Uh, we all want to be there. And I, Applebee's absolutely, I'm sure they paid a fortune to use that. And, I can't um, even imagine really how much they spent for that. I'm, I can't either. Whoa. 
hooray for the songwriters. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So uh, even a song, by the way, just off the beaten track here, even a song that was written a long time ago, and you know, in this case, it's a well-known song. Even if it wasn't, that thing for Cheers is like perfect for commercials. And I'm surprised it took them this long to get hold of somebody to get hold of it. Nobody okay, could have. Nobody could afford it. Afford it. Yeah. Uh, and people are saying, "Good times have." Yeah. Nobody's really getting it. Okay. So that problem here is that old problem of writing. When we look at lyrics on the page, we can see what it means, but the listener never gets the chance to do that. So good times have is short for Avenue, and Good Times Avenue, I suppose, is the name of the place. So leave your hard times in the rearview mirror, a special place we can get to with all kinds of people you'll be glad that you have. Just meet me down at the Good Times Avenue. He just, he put a period at the end of Av. So I can see that it's an abbreviation, but no one else can. And so that's going to be a problem for listeners and a problem for film and television. If you can rewrite the end of that, um, I think this is very strong for film and TV. Um, with the kind of people you're glad you all that you knew, uh, meet me down at the Good Times Avenue. Um, something like that. Get Avenue. The problem then, though, is that this is the name of a place. And if the Applebee's can't use it, that's why Cheers works so well for Applebee's. They never put the name of the bar in there. So I'm going to say really close. If you ch you've got to change that payoff line and the title, of your song uh, if you wanted to make this something that you could pitch to commercial television. I'm going to go back because I'm obsessing about the uh, post-chorus. I, oh, okay. I think as, as a retired producer, I would say take that post-chorus, make it a bridge. It shouldn't show up twice in the song. It could have 40 years ago. That was an old school technique that they didn't necessarily call it a post-chorus. But really what your post-chorus is, is a bridge. And it's kind of likable. I, I think it works. It's just, do you need it every time there's a chorus? It's it's not modern. So just it's, try it's, that. Yeah, I think it's too much lyric for a post-chorus. Um, and also, this is a very repetitive melody. But for a commercial, a short commercial uh, that wants to take it, it's a very hooky melody. It's very catchy. I don't have a problem with it. If you were going to pitch this as a full song, uh, they may, uh, libraries might feel that it's too repetitive, but it's catchy. And the post-chorus continues that same melody, I think, as I recall. So watch mm -hmm. out for that. And that's another reason to move it to the bridge uh, position. All right. Here is a song called Slow Speed. Uh, by the way, I forgot. I'm so sorry for this. I forgot to mention the writer's name on Good Times Ave, which was Brandon McClinton. Um, so there's yeah, that. Good singer, good singer on that too, by the way. If that's Brandon, it's a good singer. All right, this one's called Slow Speed. It's by Elmer Nabel, K-N-A-B-L-E. And let us have a listen to this. Here we go. Three sick days Feels pretty good, I gotta say Making our way down 65 South Payments been made on a little beach house With a whole lot of sunshine on our mind Laughing and living along the coastline Found us a beach with a local band 
Taking some tunes while we work on our tan We'll pull back the throttle, pop a few bottles These chairs and umbrellas are really good novel Unplug the clock, hoping time will just stop, stop, stop No need to burn extra energy To make you and me, me memories But baby, we can't get there fast enough Stuck in slow speed. Good. Good. It's a good, strong country song. It's the thing that Michael was talking about earlier when he talks about running, you know, the vivid, the image, the storyline images. Um, uh, uh, pull back the throttle, pop a few bottles, beach chairs, umbrellas, read a good novel. Love that rhyme. Um, unplug the clock. All of these are storyline images. Now, it's not telling us a, particularly, a particular story, just people who want to get away for the weekend. And so it could work. I think it could work, uh, almost work for a commercial. Um, I love the idea of slow speed. And when you start the song with that intro, with that kind of laid back feel, it really right away conveys that message of slow speed. Music supervisors are going to like that if they're looking for something with a country vibe. They're going to right away go, yeah, slow speed. This would be great for, let's say, um, a beaches or a sandals commercial that wants to go with that southern feel uh hotel chains and restaurants um now here's the thing uh this song it says slow speed and the whole time i'm listening to that lyric um i'm thinking oh yeah that's really cool they're they're leaving you know stepping out of their regular crazy high speed life and intense life and they're getting out and doing a uh, you know, relaxing and slowing, everything slowing down. And the, that's kind of what the chorus is saying until it gets to the last line, uh, at last two lines of the chorus. Um, but baby, we can't get there fast enough. Stuck, stuck, stuck in slow speed. So what the writer did here was change the meaning of slow speed from relaxing beach vacation to we're stuck here in the office in slow speed because we, we can't get away, I think. Um, we can't get there fast enough. No need to burn extra energy to make you and me a million memories. But baby, we can't get there fast enough. Stuck, stuck, stuck in slow speed. So the payoff line is actually not saying, hey, you know, here we are. It, cool, cool, you know, we're drifting back in slow speed. It seems like it should maintain the same meaning. Slow speed is go relax out on the beach and have a good time. So by changing that in the payoff line, uh, it kind of gives this song a, the kind of twist I don't think it needs. Be, and then the next line in verse two, be swinging on a hammock, just sleeping in. That's the idea of slow speed, but it changed it to a negative, stuck in slow speed. I thought that was odd. Um, that's the only thing. I, I love the voice on this, the vocal on this. Um, but for film and television, um, it's uh, it might work. It might work. But it's fairly limited uses for something like this. It is country, and so it would go into songs that want to set that location. And then it does seem to have a lot of, here we are, three sick days, a lot of storyline, specific storyline details. You know, I've been asking a lot of my friends who've had placements with songs in big TV commercials, uh, big TV shows lately. And I would say 90% or greater of them say, well, they barely use the vocal. 
so this is a good example of a song where the track is very laid back. I mean, if you just heard the instrumental track, you could easily conjure up images of yeah. a, a day at the lake floating on a raft with a beer in your hand. It would be no problem coming up with that. So, yeah, there are times that supervisors will go, I love the vibe of the track. I love the feel of the music. It works with the tempo of my scene, which is important. Um, and I love this line, we'll find us a beach with a local band. I'm just pulling that one out of the air. Let mm -hmm. me find a better yeah. one. But uh, uh, watching, yeah. watching the sand, the waves make magic. Um, you know, those are, are standout lines where they would just bring up the fader or pop the mute, un unmute the track and let that one line pop through in between some dialogue. So it could get used. Again, there are always exceptions. But the point of today's show was making your... If you read a book on gambling, on playing roulette, and it said, you know, 23 black is almost always, you know, has a higher probability of paying off, you wouldn't walk into a casino and not play 23 black. So what we're encouraging you to do is if you are of the mind that you want to create music that has a higher probability of getting signed by a library and a higher probability of libraries pitching it, therefore a higher probability of getting used in film and TV, write lyrics that are universal, that don't have a lot of storyline or story detail to them so that they're just plain more usable. So all that said, I would like to ask you about something which I saw in the book, which is how do you not become cliche? It's hard enough as a songwriter to not go into cliche land when you're not working in film and TV, but when you're trying to limit yourself to base emotions and making that the expression of what your lyric is about, how do you avoid going into cliche land and sounding corny? That's a really good question because uh, the other, the, the parallel question is, how do I write about emotions? Uh, you know, I can write a story. If I'm not writing a story, what am I writing about? How do I write about emotions and keep that vivid and engaging and relatable? You know, listeners really want to relate to what singer's saying and participate emotionally in what's going on in the song. And and so I'll give you the tricks, okay? Uh, yeah. The biggest trick of all is uh, comparisons, what I call comparisons. Um, that's metaphors and simile and economy and synecdoche and all these fancy words that you get in when you're a literary <laughs> literature major like me. Um, you get all those words for it, but they're all the same. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's a comparison. You know, I love your, your, your kisses are like potato chips, like potato chips. I can't get just one. Your kisses are like <laughs> potato chips. You have potato chip kisses. Okay, I'm not speaking directly to you now. You don't have to get all embarrassed there, Michael. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, salty yeah. and crunchy kisses don't usually come to mind, but okay. Okay, well, chocolate. <laughs> I know you can't eat just one. You can't have right. just one. Okay, um, so that's a comparison. As soon as you say, like, you're as cold as ice, or that's a, that's a comparison. You're, you know, why you got to be so cold, says Chris Stapleton. When, you know, when you broke up with me, you shattered my heart like, like a rock through a window. I love that line. My, you shattered my heart like a rock through the window. Um, that's in the song Cold by Chris Stapleton. Like a, as a, you're cold as ice. You know, you did this like a, that's how you describe emotions. When you say, I, I think you did one earlier around love. You know, my love is as deep as um you know the the deep blue sea um you know um 
under you know, my skin. Uh, it's like the having you know the sky under my skin. That's a line from a Lifehouse song from a while ago. I love that line. I still love it. Being in love is like feeling like you've got the sky under your skin. Feeling like that is is a way of saying this is what love feels like so that the listener can feel love also. And whatever's going on in the scene that the song is with, you're telling the listener, hey, this is what these people are feeling. You can feel it too. You can relate to it and I'll enhance it for you by saying this is what it feels like. Um, and that's how you describe love is uh, or any emotion. There's a wonderful song from a few years ago by Uncle Cracker called Smile. You make me smile, uh, dizzy, uh, let's see, how does it go? Dancing like a fool, uh, crazy, uh, spinning like a record, crazy on a Saturday night, uh, buzz like a bee. He's got this whole, this entire course is just a, a, a list of comparisons for how you make me feel. In the second verse, he says, you're cooler than the flip side of my pillow. I always wonder, how did they come up with that? I love that line, because when you flip your pillow over, you definitely feel that the, the flip side of your pillow. Uh, a wonderful song, uh, country hit, uh, I Met a Girl. And of course, Shane McAnally's involved with it. Of course he is, because it's a great song. And um, <laughs> yeah, there's like five guys writing on this thing. I Met a Girl. And there's this whole list of she, you know, she blew me a kiss like it and it and it spun through the air like a tilt of whirl. When she smiles, the planet swings around her. I mean, this description of this girl is amazing. I met a girl. And that's and then when he gets to the end of this phenomenal description, I met a girl. And it's the simplest of things. But when you start using comparisons, you can put anything in there that fits, that you honestly want to say about how it feels. So in order to write about emotions, you have to feel emotions. Okay, folks, you can't just stay on the surface and say, oh, yeah, I, I kind of know. I, I'm going to write a song about that and stay on the surface and say, oh, what am I going to say next? What will I say? What rhymes? You're in trouble if you're doing that. Okay, instead, you put yourself, you relive that situation if you've ever been there, or you put yourself in that person's shoes if you haven't been there, and you say, what does this feel like to me? What, what does it make my, my, my body feel like? My, what do I taste or smell or see? Um, Ed Sheeran says, you're like cold coffee in the morning. You know, oh, okay. <laughs> I know what that tastes like and I know how that would make me feel. I'm not sure exactly how he means, means that about her, but he goes on to talk about other things that, that she is to him. Um, all of these comparisons give you, it opens up the world when you're talking about emotions. If you don't use comparisons, you are stuck. Um, uh, you know, measure, uh, there's a couple other ways to go, but that's the biggest one of all. That's the one I know, and it's the one I see over and over and over. How do you pull out your cheesometer when you're doing these comparisons so that they aren't really corny and cheesy because it'd be very easy to go there? You have to live it. I mean, you have to put yourself in the situation and honestly feel it. That's how these people find, uh, you know, when you get into good lyric writing, you ask yourself, well, how did he think of cooler than the flip side of my pillow? That's cheesy. How did he think of it? Well, he must have said what things are cool. What things are cool when, you know, what can I compare this to? I don't want cold. You know, I don't want to be darkness under the water, drowning in cold water like um, um, Louis Capaldi is in Before You Go. Um, in the pre-chorus, he says, you know, I'm drowning. It's like drowning in cold water. This is not a surface thing, he says. 
It is not a surface thing. It's never a surface thing. You're only cheesy if you're staying on the surface and you're lying to yourself. If you do that, forget it. You're dead in the water because every music soup is going to know that you're doing it. They mm. all, none of them will react with authenticity. Do you know when I, every single music supervisor I asked when I was interviewing them for my book, uh, the film and TV book, every single music supervisor I, and people involved in music supervision that I asked, I said, what's the first thing when you hear a song and you know you'll use it? Maybe not now, you don't have anything right now, but you could use it and you want to use it. What, what makes you do, feel that way? And they all said the same thing, authenticity. Mm -hmm. But when I'd say, what is authenticity? They'd all go, oh, well, I don't know, but I know it when I hear it. So it's yeah. my job to tell you what authenticity is. So I wrote a whole thing on it. It's on my website and um, at robinfrederick.com, authenticity. You can it's, look that up. It's and a big it's in, deal. It is a big, it's the driving force behind yep. all of this stuff. And if it isn't authentic, they can't use it under a scene because Every actor has to be authentically present in the scene. The script has to be authentic. Do you think they're going to let a song mess that up? No. So authenticity is when you are writing honestly from your emotions, you're taking some risks. Um, you know, I'm going to say something that maybe I haven't heard anybody say before. It's like, you know, having the sky, your skin. What does that even mean? It's the thing that you feel if, when you're feeling love. It's all of a sudden there's no limits. It just opens everything up. The world is, you know, unending and you're in love. Um, that writer had to think of that line. And in order to do that, you have to feel it. And you may not be in love right now. So what you have to do is what script, script writers and actors do. You have to put yourself into the shoes of someone feeling that. Either remember it yourself or imagine someone going through that and put yourself into that. Songwriters can do that. I've always said to people, I can give you all this, all the song craft in the world, all the stuff we've been talking about today. The one thing I can't do is give you the emotion. You gotta bring it. You bring the emotion, you're gonna be okay. The song craft you can learn, but if you don't feel it, you're never gonna write a song that means anything. It's gonna be cheesy. It's gonna be on the surface. It's not gonna be honest and authentic. And every every music supervisor has radar for not a, not authentic. Trust me. Every person does supervisors yeah. in particular. Uh, yeah, but you know, right. I, I was every moderating person. a panel at the Hawaii Songwriters Festival probably four or five years ago. Had several big music supervisors on the panel. Uh, they're all people that I know well. Some of them are close friends. And a song got played uh, by a taxi member um, that everybody in the room lit up. Everybody in that room went, holy crap, that's the best song we've heard all weekend by far. And one of the people on the panel said, I think it's my friend Frank Palazzolo said, did you write that for sync or did you just write that? Write it. Because yeah. it, it was so good and so perfect to be synced that they want to know because they want authenticity. It's why some supervisors are very hung up now on, is it a real band? It's well, so. They, they know. I mean, he should, Frank Palazzolo, of all people, he knows whether it's, if it sounds authentic, then it is authentic. I mean, it moves you. If it genuinely moves you, then it's authentic. This um, one was, was so well crafted. It was hard for those of us who were experienced to really make the judgment call. Is Was this authentically an artist thing or was it somebody who's really good at crafting stuff for sync and making it sound authentic? I know. Yeah, I, but you can't. You can't. Craft, you can't get to authenticity strictly.
craft. That's what I'm saying is this person was capable of imagining and feeling the emotion they were crafting. Yeah. And yeah, without that, you can't do it. So yeah, feel it and then find the craft that will help you express it. And that's what matters. So I, you can't really ask yourself that question. If it moves you, then it moves you. And, you know, I mean, uh, I don't I don't see how you can then divide that off from, oh, this person was writing it for sync. So what I would say to people is I hear these songs all the time that were written for sync. And I can tell in a second you wrote this for a commercial, didn't you? You wrote this, uh, you know, yeah. on a uh, for a brief um, and, and you were desperate to get the, the placement. And so you wrote the safe thing and or you wrote the fast thing or you could hit the deadline or you wrote, you can always tell. And if you can't tell, hallelujah, you know, you did it. Um, so you have to take those risks. Even when you're writing for sync, you still have to go to that place where you risk uh, expressing your real emotions and finding risky ways to do that, that move you. And if it moves you, it will move other people because you're not a Martian. I mean, none of us here are, are from, you know, Dune or wherever. Um, we're all he human here and it's and, and emotions are universal and we all feel the same emotions. So the way you express them when you say, I feel like I'm drowning, this is not a surface thing. This is cold, this is deep, this hurts. You're gonna reach people with that. Go back, folks, go listen to Before You Go by Louis Capaldi. It's an absolutely brilliant expression of regret. And regret is a really tough emotion to express because it happens about something that happened in the past, but you're feeling it now. And he does a really brilliant job of showing you what regret feels like. As you listen to songs, and everybody should be listening at least a couple hours a week, use the taxi listings. I swear they're the best source for, here's the genre, here's three songs in the genre, go listen to them. And when you go and you listen at least a couple hours a week, as you listen to these songs, some of them you won't like, and you go, no, I don't like that, move on. Go to the next song and the next song until you hear a song that moves you. Then you say, why does that move me? You're a songwriter. Your job is to figure out why that moved you and figure out if you can do that. How did that move me? How did that reach my emotions? Uh, I'll be surprised if there isn't a lot of comparisons in there. <laughs> Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou, poet, former, I don't even know if she's still alive, but she was the poet laureate of the United States, I believe, at some point in her career. Um, she once said, People won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how they feel. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is the best yes. summation of everything you've just said, because that's it. Yeah, you know, it, it actually, you have to be so good at craft that the words almost don't matter, but you're really good at making the emotion come across, that it almost that's comes it. naturally. You can't sit down and build it like an erector set. Maybe you do in the beginning until it becomes part of you, and then it just comes out of you in such a way. Remember my famous story that I've repeated a thousand times, please forgive me if you're a regular watcher, but I, I started my career at 19 years old at a place in Miami called Criteria Studios, which was one of the four or five preeminent studios in the world at the time. The Bee Gees were doing all their records at the time. I knew Barry Gibb. I would see him every day at work for months on end. I stopped him in the hallway and very naively said, how do you write a hit song, Barry? And he looked at me like, emotion, mate. And just kept walking. Emotion, like, yeah. Yeah, one word, emotion. Emotion. And so you start with that. So the thing is, you do have to start your song from inspiration, from emotion. You, it has to be something you can really feel. So even if it's a music brief, 
you still have to find the emotional heart in it. I wrote hundreds of songs for the Disney Channel. And I'm telling you, it was just so Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Tigger. But I had to give them real feelings so that real kids could feel those feelings. And that meant that I had to feel them. So I had to dig down into my, you know, my childhood feelings for like three years. I did that wow. because you have to feel it in order to be honest. And boy, if you're not honest with kids, they know it. Yeah. So these were I still I'm very proud of some of those songs because they honestly expressed what a child feels because I felt it. And that's where you start. Then the craft kicks in and says, okay, how am I going to express this so listeners can feel it too? That's what is sometimes lacking. I've got all my personal expression. I'm ready to go. I've written my album, but listeners can't understand it because they didn't use enough craft. I want to plug the book again. And yes, I am the publisher of this book and I do make a couple bucks when you buy one. But you know what? I'm the only publisher I know that says if you don't think the book was worth every penny you spent, send it back to me in resellable condition and I will refund your money. Only one guy asked and he Xeroxed the whole book and sent me one back <laughs> and wanted a refund. Lot. Yeah. Um, also, um, I've got to say, I don't think people are as aware, it's probably my fault uh, for not marketing these well enough, but Robin wanted to do an updated version of um, her original book, Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting. And when she started, she couldn't stop. As you could tell, she's a, a, just not a warehouse of information. She's beyond that. She's like the, the Library of Congress of songwriting information. <laughs> and, and so she ended up writing three books, which, uh, Level one is an updated version of the original book. So even if you own the original Shortcuts to Hit songwriting, level one has a lot more current stuff in it. Um, and then level two and level three are what you would expect. She takes you to another level and yet another level. The cool thing about these is you can download all three of these for 30 bucks. Uh, whereas total, the, yeah, total, total, total. Yeah, total. for the, the print version of the book alone, depending on Amazon's mood that day is usually around 35 ish, a dollar higher, dollar lower, somewhere around. There. So you can get these three books for 30 bucks. Um, so check that out. Also, you mentioned Disney. So we had a couple of taxi members about 10 years ago named Adam Watts and Andy Dodd, and they got a song forwarded to Carol King's daughter, a woman named Cheryl Condor, reached out to me, I'm managing an artist, um, and he's looking for songs, and one of the forwards was from Adam Watts and Andy Dodd. It was a song, Not Beautiful Soul, it was another one of their songs that, um, oops, um, who was the artist on Beautiful Soul? Uh, Jesse McCartney. He loved their style and loved their writing, but didn't love that song for him. And he said, what else do you have? They ended up getting Beautiful Soul and one other of their songs with their production on his record with his vocal. Um, it became a hit. They both got Disney music publishing deals and then ended up writing songs for High School Musical 1, High School Musical yeah. 2, High School Musical 3, Camp Rock, blah, 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 blah. They both became multimillionaires, I'm sure, and I'm very happy to say that on Monday's show, a week from today, Adam Watts wrote a book called The Human of Being Art, and I've read about half of this book so far. It's deep, it's really deep, and nobody else is really talking about this stuff. Certainly nobody says it as well as he does, but one of the things, I want to talk to him about is something that we touched on the last 10 minutes of today's show, which is writing to somebody said, well, we're writing, we don't know what the scene's going to be. We don't know what the picture is. We're writing 
emotions that are universal so that they can be used in a lot of different scenarios. His life was completely and utterly different. Disney would send them a brief and say, we need a song about this specifically. Mm -hmm. So I'm really yeah. anxious to talk to him about what what kind of pressure they were under to write something. Because when you're writing in that Disney stable, you're competing against the best writers they can get their hands on. So, yeah. Yeah. and the pressure is on, you know, they just advanced them, I would guess, a hundred grand each uh, when they signed their deal. And now the pressure's on and is Disney gonna get what they need from you? Well, apparently they did because their stuff made it into all three versions of High School Musical. So that will be an interesting show, I'm right. sure. Um, yeah. I'm gonna have him somehow involved in the road rally. And speaking of the road rally, Robin will be doing her thing, which this year we're still finalizing the absolute plan for what Robin will do at the rally this year. But at least a component of it, if not a large component of it, is going to be Robin doing song reviews from people in the ballroom. And we'll figure out the mechanism on how you get us the songs, blah, blah, blah. But that will be on Saturday, um, usually at like 11 a.m. 11. 11. Yeah, 11 wow, I can't morning. believe yeah. I remember that. You got it. <laughs> 11 o'clock Saturday morning at the beautiful Weston. And do you know that we are actually exceeding last year's sign-up numbers for the road rally? Oh, um, great. And last year's numbers were great because people didn't have to get off their couch or leave their city or whatever. And so far, we just rolled out the announcement of the rally, I believe, last Thursday. And we're well ahead of last year's numbers. So we expect a great turnout this year. Um, and we are taking all kinds of precautions for COVID. Uh, and I'm really happy to hear, I just saw something on the news over the weekend that AB5, I believe it's called the latest version of COVID. Um, for the most part, most people are not even reporting the really terrible headaches, nor are they re reporting a lot of body aches, nor are they reporting a lot of fever. Scratchy throat, sore throat, sneezing, coughing. So basically the AB5 variant for most people, what I'm hearing on the news, I'm not a doctor, but I'd like to play one on TV. On TV. <laughs> yes, most people are getting what sounds like a just common cold, which believe it or not, I think a common cold actually is a form of coronavirus. So with that, I'd like to thank all you guys for watching. Thank you to the people who sent in your music. By the way, it it is picked randomly. You have to be a member. And um, Liz did tell me, once again, people failed to follow the instructions. All we want you to do is send us the song title. We'll go to your artist page and get it and send us an attachment with the lyrics. People did. So if you didn't follow instructions, you were pulled out of contention before she picked randomly. So try and get that right next time, please. And especially when we do it with Robin on Saturday, November 5th at 11 a.m. in the Grand Ballroom at the Road Rally. Robin, thank you for always being awesome and for taking oh, the time to pleasure. join us for this. Um, see you soon. You can go to robinfrederick.com, which I'm sure has links to all of her books, her classes, yep, all of everything. it. Right everything. There. Right there. Robin, great to see you. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.